Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Daniel. I brought your Bible today. I want you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, please. That's the fifth book in your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Had to stop and think. Uh, There we go. I want to talk to you today about a very important uh, subject, about the core of the Christian life, the core of the Christian life. I wonder if you could name your teachers. Uh, One day I was taught, in fact, uh, we uh, had uh, several Sundays uh, in years gone by. One year we just called it Teacher Sunday and we honored our teachers and then others that had influenced our lives and asked people to uh, bring them and introduce them. And I could remember my teachers from the first to the twelfth grade and a number of people told me that they could not remember their teachers and some did. They remembered all of them. And then I know all of you could remember uh, uh, effective teachers and people that... uh, had a transformation point in your life. There's one uh, teacher that had a significant impact in my life, and his name was Mark Hollingsworth. In fact, we had him in here about 20 years ago. I wanted uh, you to meet him and uh, you to hear him preach. He played football at the University of Arkansas. He uh, was a receiver, and there was a a, a player named... uh, Uh, Terry Bradshaw that played in the Super Bowl. Mark was uh, on those early teams in Louisiana with Terry Bradshaw and another player that's well known. But he was uh, one of my professors in Bible college. And he was my homiletics teacher. Now, you may have heard that word. Maybe it's the first time you've ever heard it. Homiletics is the science of, of creating a sermon and putting together an outline and taking a passage of Scripture and organizing that passage so that it has unity and progress and helping people to be able to understand the Bible. And uh, it's not Bible study. That's something different. But homiletics is is totally different. That class just uh, changed my life. I had it for two years. Uh, we I had him for two hours. That means we met on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 o'clock in the morning uh, for uh, my sophomore year. And then my junior year, we met again. And it was so helpful. I, I can't remember a single lecture that wasn't helpful. And then there was a kind of a lab aspect. Daniel had these classes where he was at too also, where that you had to preach before your peers and uh, Dr. Hollingsworth would sit in the back, and he would uh, uh, give you grades, and he would mark and, and give advice. I still have those. Uh, and, and your peers would, would do that, too. Did they do that for you? Daniel's the same thing. And there were areas that they would grade you on. Their grades didn't count, but they would give you comments and encouragement and say, well, your transitions were weak here or whatever. And, and I, I, did, I knew nothing about homiletics. I knew nothing about uh, putting a sermon together, but I loved, I loved the Bible. And I, I felt a, a, a passion to be able to do that. And I remember so many times in those years uh, under his tutelage, just a desire to, to want to be an effective preacher. 
And not only that, but they, they were like, um, we would call them eureka moments, which just means um, insight. And you don't have a whole lot of those, but it's like a, dis, a, a point of discovery where the proverbial light bulb comes on above your head. Oh, I understand this. Well, when I had him, because I was interested in the topic and I needed the topic, and he was so effective as a teacher that it just, it was all these eureka moments. And I, I'm in debtor, I am a, a debtor, indebted to Mark Hollingsworth. We still stay in touch. Uh, he lives in Texas now. And then also to the university for hiring him and for training him. He was trained at the same university that, that I was at. And so there, there are truths, here's where I'm going with this, there are truths that you hear in church or you hear uh, as you read your Bible or maybe you hear on the radio, you hear the Bible preached. When you are, encounter this truth that uh, the light bulb comes on. And when you understand that, it, it is fundamental, it's core, to use that word, we're talking about what's core in our Christian life, which is stewardship. And when you understand that truth, you build upon it, and everything centers, that's what the core is, it's at the center, and everything kind of builds around that. Well, stewardship is a core doctrine. It's foundational. It's fundamental to the Christian life, and we build around it. And you cannot you cannot live for Jesus effectively if you do not understand stewardship. Now, some of you that have grown up in church, you have. Some, well, I'm going to be a poet. I'm a poet and don't know it. Uh, you have some skewed understanding of what it means to be a stewardship. Um, but I want to look at some biblical uh, foundations of what the Bible teaches about stewardship. Now, simply put, stewardship begins with, with ownership. And it's the idea that God owns everything that you have. Everything. He owns your clothes. He owns your heritage. He owns your house. He owns God is the owner of everything. And so I thought before we, we look at the text this morning that we're going to just look at one verse and really finish out the verse I gave you two weeks ago. I want to show you the first two usages uh, of the word steward in the Bible and show you how the word is used in the Old Testament because it's the same usage in the New Testament. Uh, Abraham had a servant. His name was Eliezer. And it's given to us the first usage in the Bible in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 2. And here's what the Bible says. And Abram's praying. He's talking to God. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? He's talking to God. He said, you're going to have a child. And he's older. Uh, he can't produce children. His wife is old. She can't have children. Seeing I go childless. You said I'm going to have a child. We can't have children. Watch this, and the steward, look at this, the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. Now, Abraham was wealthy, if you know your Bible. You know, he, he owned a lot of herds, he owned property, and uh, he had a lot of, lot of things. But Eliezer didn't own anything, but he managed everything. So Abraham was the owner, but he had this faithful, loyal man that in Genesis 24, it doesn't mention his name, but there was a servant that went to get a bride for Abraham's son named Isaac. 
And while it doesn't give his name, everyone agrees, and I believe too, that that was Eliezer. Abraham trusted him. And so here's the first usage of it in the Bible. He says, the steward, and I want you to look at this, the steward of my house. He entrusted everything in his house. And he had a lot of things going. He was a businessman. God had blessed him. And he had this steward. He had this, he was not the owner. Abraham was the owner. But he empowered Eliezer. That's the first usage. The second usage of the Bible is also in Genesis, and it's use of Joseph, uh, of his steward. In Genesis chapter 43 and verse 19, And they came near, this is Joseph's brothers, to the steward of Joseph's house. Now remember, they didn't know Joseph at the time. And they're coming there, and they communed with him at the door of his house. And so Joseph is wealthy now. He, he is the vice regent of the nation of Israel. And so he has a steward. And Joseph owns the house. He's very wealthy. He owns money. He's got all of this stuff, but he has a steward. The steward didn't own anything, but he, had, he was trusted with the resources. And this is what I want you to see of Abram. I'm sorry, of Joseph. In Genesis chapter 41, just a few verses later, in Genesis 44 and verse 1, the Bible says, And he, this is Joseph, and Joseph commanded the steward of his house. I want you to see that word commanded. Joseph was the owner. Joseph had authority over the steward. The steward was there to serve Joseph. Now we are stewards of God. God is the owner. He has authority over us. Stewardship is about authority. It's about responsibility, and it's about relationship. Once you got saved, you're not just a son or daughter of God. You are a steward. And God has given you responsibilities, and part of that responsibility is you don't... Well, I think I'll have some of that. I talked to the men about this yesterday and at the men's breakfast. I, I think I like that. You negotiate. No, God is the, the ultimate authority. And you come to Him, and He is your Master, He's your Lord, He is your authority. And I'm telling you, it's always been a trouble in our rebellious heart. But as our culture goes on, where everyone talks about, listen to this. And I want you to hear this, because you're going to hear this more and more. My truth. You hear this, especially on the talk show. Well, here's my truth. No, there is the truth. And, uh, and there's just one truth. You don't have your truth, and I have my truth. No, there's one truth, and you can't. There's just one gravity. Well, this is my gravity, and that's your. No, no, there's one gravity, and there's just one truth. Yeah, and somebody's going to be wrong, and if you're on the wrong side, you're you're going to end up meeting the brunt of that truth. Stewardship is about relationship, is about authority, and it's about responsibility. Now, there's three. Uh, simple truths I want to to give you uh, to help you understand stewardship. But uh, the, as you understand these, they're motivators. I'm telling you. Listen, in the recent really months, I, I've been working on this, and and I've taught these ideas. But I want to revisit some of these things. They motivate me. Uh, the songs we sing this morning are, are not just uh, hymns and, and some choruses. They're they're about 
the grace of God, the love of God. Listen, the Bible says, I think it's 1 John 4, 19. Now listen to this. We love Him. We love God because He first loved us. I can preach all day about you need to love God. You need to have a willing heart. Well, you're not going to by force of the law, by force of enthusiasm. We love Him because He first loved us. Love is a response. My wife takes such good care of me. She's so humble. And the things that she serves me so well. And I can tell you so, so many little things and how attentive she is. How, how she takes good care of me. And, and I trust that I take care of her. And she serves me. And you know what? That, that burrs in me a desire to want to do anything for her because she loves me. And so we, we sang these songs this morning that elevate the love of God and the grace of God to get us to think as we worship Him, we honor Him. To put our hearts in a condition of response, not just to the preaching of the Word of God, but to this, to this topic of authority. Because you, you do not, and I'm going to use the expression, you do not mind being submissive to, to a, a, a dictator that, that is beneficent, that is good. And I don't like calling God a dictator, but He is the authority. And He's good. If he never did anything else for me, he's already blessed me in a million lifetimes. And that's not preacher talk. That's the truth. He's, he's good. And you can trust him. He sees further down the road than you do. He sees behind things. And you, you, you come to trust him. Not because just it's right, and it is right, but because you love him. And you know him. Now, let me give you these truths, and, and um, let's get through this. Okay, not just because it's a sermon, but, but this will help you. I, I want you to get this. And here's the main idea. I want, I want you to get this today, and then I'll review the first part quickly because I've already given it to you. I'll go through it quickly. All right, here it is. God's role in stewardship is that He's the owner. This is God's role. In, in stewardship, He is the owner. Now, another way to say owner, he's the authority. We call him the Lord. He's the master. He's the boss. But I, I, I like the term owner. He, he owns us. At the foundation of the Christian life is the doctrine of stewardship. And this is why if you do not understand stewardship, you're going to struggle in your Christian life. He is the authority. He's my he is the authority of this church. The pastor's not in charge of this church. The word of God is through he through mediated through Jesus Christ. We submit to him. Human beings don't run this church. We submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and every person is under the authority of God. Now here's what I've learned. Every problem that I have in life is when I buck up against the authority of God. Every one of them. And I believe that's true in your life. Every problem you have is related to resisting stewardship. When you say, no, God's not going to tell me what to do. I, I can marry somebody that's not a Christian. I can violate that principle. I can do this. I'm the exception. 
Uh, no, no, you're not. You see, the Ten Commandments were not given to punish you. They were given to protect you. Every time God says, thou shalt, he's saying, here, help yourself. And when God says, thou shalt not, he's saying, don't hurt yourself because he loves you. And, and as the authority, he loves you and he cares for you. So every day of your life, I hope you'll do this. I try to do this where I acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. And, and here's why I say that, because you really don't make him Lord. Uh, he's already the Lord. You, you just acknowledge that. God, I acknowledge that you are the master of my life and I'm your servant and when I flub it up and I take the wheel and I begin to drive and man, it, it wrecks and just conflict. God, I, I did it again. I'm sorry. Now, there's a threefold claim that the Bible says that God has on your life. And this is reasonable. You know, Romans 12 talks about your reasonable service. And submitting to God is reasonable. Uh, notice in Deuteronomy chapter 32, I think I told you to turn there, Deuteronomy 32. And if you'll look with me in there in verse 6, Deuteronomy 32 and verse 6, here's Moses. This is his, his last days. He's going to die in chapter 34, premature death. And the nation is not in a good place. And when you read chapter 32, he's reviewing God's goodness to them. And, it's wonderful. I think I told you last week. And he asks them questions. And he's not really browbeating them. He, he's pleading with them. Now watch this. Moses is speaking to Israel. Do, do you thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is, he, is not he thy father? Don't miss that. He's your father. He's the father of the nation of Israel. Now, the word requite there means to serve someone well. It has the idea of repaying someone in response for their goodness. Now, look at it again. Moses is saying, do you thus requite the Lord? Here's what he's saying. Is this the way you repay somebody for doing you good? God has been so good to you. Is this a way you requite him? That's what the word means there. And within that, there there are threefold uh, a threefold uh, authority, a claim that God has on my life and your life. And I'll just mention the first two. I gave you these already. Number one, he he has the right of claim by creation. He owns me because he created me. Hath he not made thee? Has he not made thee? Deuteronomy thirty two six. He made you. First time that word is used in the Bible was in Genesis 1-7. And God made the firmament. That's the atmosphere. He spoke it into existence. The word made means to bring forth, to fashion. He made, he made the earth. He made you in your mother's womb. Ecclesiastes 11 talks about how, how are bones created in the womb. It, it's a miracle. Uh, you know... Self-made people, there's no such thing, but I'm going to use their, their terminology. Uh, self-made people are ungrateful people. And, and they don't like to be debtors. Every now and then you'll hear, I, I'm a self-made man. 
You know, I'll just mention a name, you know, Jerry Jones of the Cowboys. He, he would kind of fit in that category. I'm, I'm a self-made man. I'm, I earned this money. Now, hold on. I did this. Well, who gave you oxygen? Who's keeping your heart beating? Who's filling the blank? And I, Hey, listen, we, we all get to that place where we just feel like well, we're self-made, but we're not. And one of the indications of that is just a lack of gratitude or a lack of indebtedness. Even lost people need to come to the place where they feel like, God, I owe you. I read an interesting story. I was sharing it with Paula um, last night. But let me share this one with you first. Where a preacher was, was ministering to a man in his church, and, and the man was just stubborn, and he wouldn't listen. And so he was visiting in his home, and he was sharing with him, you need to be obedient to God. And he was talking to him about being baptized. And uh, the man said, no, I, I don't need to be baptized. Why? The dying thief was never baptized. Beside Jesus, he was never baptized. Neither should I be baptized. And so the pastor talked to him, well, you're not faithful to church. And, you know, you need to be faithful to the Lord's assembly. You need it. And the church needs you. We need you. And once again, he said, well, I don't need to be faithful. The dying thief never went to church, neither should I. And the pastor brought up, uh, he said, well, do you, do you support the church financially? He was pressing hard. He said, well, no, the dying thief never gave any money. I don't need to support missions or support the church. And the pastor was flummoxed. He was a little frustrated. And he looked the man in the eye. He said, you know, the only difference I can see between you and the thief on the cross and that is that he was a dying thief and you're a living one. And there's a lot of us that we don't have the mentality, but, but we're, we're just thieves. We take God's air. We take God's water. We take God's filling the blank. And he created us. And judgment day's coming. And he has a claim on us by creation. Number two, he has a claim on us by the right of sustenance. The word sustain means to nourish, to feed, to replenish, to provide. He sustains us just like you take care of your kids. You ever gone out to eat like you did with, uh, we used to take our kids to McDonald's and, you know, we, we love their fries and, uh, maybe you finish with yours and your your little five-year-old is over there and, and you're finished with yours and so you grab one of their french fries. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Remember what they do? And they maybe come, no, that's mine. That's mine. And you want to say, I could go buy a sack of fries and just bury your head in french fries. I bought those french fries. Now, I gave them to you. I loaned them to you. They're yours, but if I want one, you know, God sustains us. Everything we have, listen carefully. I mean this in a kind, gracious way, but everything you have, God loaned it to you. God has loaned my wife to me and my children to me. I had a tough week, you know one of the men that, that uh, influenced my life, one of the key mentors in my life, and I won't go into it, he passed away suddenly. I, I got a, a note from his son 
said, hey, pray for dad. He's, he's, uh, was going in for surgery and, and now it's, it's worse. And they told me some things and the night before and then bang, the next morning he, he died. And I mean, he went fast. He went fast. I talked to his wife and his daughter, uh, the next day went to see them. And then I had a, a professor of mine who invested in my life and taught me in, in school. He found out last week he has cancer, pancreatic cancer. They've given him weeks to live and and we stopped and I was able to just talk to him and thank him and and listen to him about scriptures that he's got. Everything we have is loaned to Listen, your health is loaned to you. I'm not sitting in this chair because I'm cool. My back hurts a lot. I wish it didn't. And truth is, I'm thankful that, that I can do what I do. I'm blessed. I'm truly, I'm blessed more than I ever deserve. I mean that. But what I want you, here's what I want you to see. God, you owe God. He created you. He sustains you. Whatever you have, God has given to you. What are, you, you can lose it like that. Look in the text again in Deuteronomy 32. Do you thus requite the Lord, O foolish people? And there at the end, the Bible says uh, that He has established you. That's the idea of sustaining you. It means to put in a, in a strong place, a foundation where you build a building on. It's certain. It's certain, man. Listen, God is my source, not the government, not your job. God is your source. It, this gives you peace. God is my source. He sustains me. God will sustain you. Insecurity comes when you build your life around things that change. The only thing that doesn't change is God and His Word. They never change. Your body's going to change. Your job is going to change. The government's going to change. And you're going to be insecure. God is your source. He owns us by the right of creation, by the right of sustenance. And thirdly, God owns us by the right of redemption. The right of redemption. I want you to look in Deuteronomy 32, 6, and really he begins with this. And I kind of started out with the other two, but I wanted to end with this for emphasis. Moses said, Do you thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and wise? Is not he thy father that hath bought thee, that hath paid for you? The word redemption always means to purchase, means to buy in the New Testament and in the Old Testament here. It means to purchase a slave. Israel was a slave to Egypt. And God bought them by miraculous means and delivered them out of Egypt's power after hundreds of years, 400 years. Have you ever considered that God has purchased you? That He redeemed you? And you don't, you don't, aren't just indebted to him because he created you and he cares for you and provides for you. He loves you, but he bought you. He paid for you. You belong to him. 
That's why he, he is your authority. He's in charge. He's your Lord. He's your master. He's your boss. All these synonyms. Because, because you belong to him. He owns my body. He owns my soul. He owns my mind. He owns my life. He owns my future. God owns everything. When Israel crossed the Red Sea after they were delivered from Egypt and they got there, the sea was in front of them. The mountains were on both sides of them. The Egyptian army was behind them. They had nowhere to go. If they went forward, they would drown. They couldn't go over the mountains. There were a couple of million people there, two or three million people. Moses was leading with children and families. And perhaps they saw the wheels of the chariots stirring up dust, and they knew what was happening. And you remember the, how that God parted the Red Sea, and the Bible says that they went by on dry ground. This was a miracle. And when they got over on the other side... When the Egyptians came through, he caused the sea to engulf them and destroy the Egyptian army. And when they got on the other side, they witnessed this because they were, they were seeing, some of you have seen movies, well, I don't know how they can do it justice, but whatever we can think of. And, and it engulfed them. And then when they were destroyed, the army, they began to sing in Exodus chapter 15. And Exodus, here's one of the lines. I want to show it to you. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 16. Watch this. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. Who is the them? The Egyptian army. By the greatness of thine arm, and when you see God's arm, it always refers to his power and his might. They, the Egyptian army, shall be as still as a stone. Like they're, they're sunk. They're not going anywhere. The bottom of the Red Sea. Till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over. Now, here's what I want you to see in the Old Testament, which thou hast purchased. Which thou hast purchased. He purchased them. Well, how did he purchase them? You remember the tenth plague? They had uh, ten plagues and finally... When uh, Pharaoh would not listen and, and there was a judgment of the firstborn and Pharaoh's uh, son was killed. And the Bible says there were cries at midnight all across the land. Because the lamb's blood was not placed upon the, the doorpost when the death angel came. And there is a death angel. It's interesting. I won't go into it. It's a teaching about angels, which we're talking about in our class, our life group. But this, this was a, a type this, of the Lord Jesus Christ, of his blood that he shed to purchase us. They belonged to God in a peculiar way that the Egyptians did not. I was preaching at a, at a men's retreat uh, up north. And uh, a man came up to me. He was a doctor. And he was an Egyptian doctor. And I, I was talking in there about how that Egypt was a type of the world. He was a Christian. And he had some questions for me. You know, he wasn't uh, combative or anything, but he had some questions about it. And we were very gracious with one another. Now, if the Egyptians wanted to believe, in fact, some of them came through because the Bible talks about a mixed multitude. 
But God's people are very precious to him. So God let the Gentiles who are not Jews, and I, I don't know of any Hebrews we have in here, but we're all Gentiles and we're all come through the blood of Jesus Christ, not through animals. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, I want you to see this. What know ye not? And again, a question. God appeals to us through questions. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God. And look at this last phrase. And you're not your own. You're not your own. Teenager, you're not your own. Grandpa, you're not your own. Student, you're not your own. Couple, you're not your own. You don't belong to yourself. No, you don't. You're under authority. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the government says. You are under authority. And that authority is the authority of God. The role of God in stewardship is that he's the authority. Joseph, had, Joseph was the authority. The steward was under his authority. If Joseph said, if Abraham said, the steward said, yes, sir. Is there anything else, sir? That's what the steward did. He didn't own anything, but the steward was loyal to the owner. And we'll come to see that he loved the owner because the owner took care of him. In our case, the owner created us. And even more, he redeemed us. You're not your own. Verse 20 for ye are bought with a price. You see the purchase? Jesus bought us. And oh, what a price he paid when he died on the cross. Therefore, glorify God. It means to, to here's what it means. Let me give a definition of glorifying God. It means to, to give a good opinion of God when other people see your life, that they have a good opinion of God. And do they? What do people think about God when they see you alive? And here's how you glorify God, in your body and in your spirit. Now, what does that mean? My body is my actions. My spirit is my attitude. It's not just in how I act. It's also in my disposition. I'm to give people a high opinion of God with my spirit, my attitude, and my actions, my external behavior, inner and outer. Because I'm not my own, I've been bought with a price. I have been with, I've been redeemed. Redemption always speaks of a price that was paid. Jesus Christ is my redeemer. And, and, and redemption gives me the awareness that I do not belong to myself. Listen, friend, one of the greatest thoughts you'll ever have that will course through your brain is that I do not belong to myself. I do not belong to myself. It changes everything. It's a game changer. And that I will give an account to God. Now listen to this. Salvation is free, but, it, but it's costly. You see, it's easy to be saved, but it wasn't to God. It cost him everything. The father sent his son. And the son bore incredible damage to his body, being separated from his father, never being separated in all of eternity until Calvary's Hill. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, 
The Bible says, For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, that's money. You can't purchase salvation. Some people in religious institutions think that you can come and you can pay off and buy forgiveness. You can't do that. Or from your vain conversation, your empty, futile conversation, your lifestyle received from tradition by your fathers. This is works. It's just religion. You can't be saved by works, by money. Salvation doesn't, you're not redeemed that way. It's a gift. Look at this, but with the precious blood of Christ, just like a little lamb without blemish and without spot. He was holy and righteous. And his blood is precious, his life's blood on the cross. You know, we sing about the blood of Jesus here. There, there are entire denominations that have taken the blood of Jesus out of songbooks. And they said, well, Christianity is, is not a bloody religion. Well, it is if you read the Bible. Jesus bled for us. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 is a word to pastors, but I want you to see something here. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased, which he hath purchased with his own blood. The purchase price was his blood. That's the, the redemptive price. You don't belong to yourself because he died for you. I don't belong to myself. These hands are not my hands. This brain is not my brain. These feet are not my feet. This life is not my life. It belongs to Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, the Bible says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. And if you've ever studied the crucifixion, you know when Jesus was there on the cross, He was butchered. I mean, he was butchered. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah says that he didn't even look like a man. And I've told you this before, when the people walked by and they looked on the cross, the crowds in the streetways, they said, well, there's a man over here and a man, but in the middle, is that is that an animal? And you say, you're being disrespectful. This is pretty much what it was, folks. Is that a dog? Is that what? What is that in the middle? It was the son of God. The soldiers took a, a rod that they kept and, and they beat him with his face until it was black and blue. They spat upon him, which is the highest indignity you can do to another person to spit upon them. But listen to this. The Lord Jesus Christ created the wood. He created the spikes, the iron. He created their spittle. And he's receiving all of this in his body that he created for your redemption, not just so you could be saved, but so that he could, he could be your father. And he could own you, and you could be his child. And they scourged him. Many people died. They were literally disemboweled. It was like taking a bull whip with, with many leather thongs with, with like... Uh, fish hooks, and, and just wrapping around the body, the entire body, the midsection, and sometimes their face, they weren't careful, and, and ripping them to shreds. All the muscle. And they put a crown of thorns upon his brow. And they crucified him. 
And there was much more. And he purchased me. He purchased you. There's more to obeying God than, and sometimes, well, well, that's legalistic. No, this is obedience to my loving Father. And the Bible says in verse 6, notice this, Deuteronomy 32, 6, Is not he thy father that bought thee? He became my father. Not just my master, this, this Lord that was way off in the distance. He is my father. Galatians 3.26, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his sons into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Which is an Aramaic word, Abba, which is a very intimate term. Some people say it means uh, Papa. Abba, Abba, Father. He's my father. And he owns me. And he has every right to direct my life. He owns me. He created me. He sustains me. He purchased me when he died on the cross. My question to you is, have you ever acknowledged that? The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. When Paul gave this to us, to the Romans, but also to us, he gave his appeal. The word beseech is an appeal. And he said, here's the idea, is I'm begging you. I'm begging you. And he says, based on God's goodness to you, based on his mercies, plural, based on the many mercies, the, the times he should have killed you but didn't, the times that he called you and could have shut off and, and, and left you to rot in hell, but he kept calling you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies. And, and look at this. It's a living sacrifice. You're, you're not this dead sacrifice. You live as a sacrifice. Somebody said one time, the problem with a living sacrifice is it can get off the altar. And we do. And that's why the old flesh gets in the way and, and the world appeals to us and the Satan is appealing the world to our flesh. And you, you have to say, God, you, you, you are my owner. You, you are my master. So my question is, have you ever transferred ownership of your life and everything that you have to God? Everything. We, we, we bought one new car. I'm not saying you shouldn't buy a new car, but we, we bought one new car. And, you know, you want to take care of it, especially if, you, if you're limited. You, you want to take care of that. We were out grocery shopping in about two weeks. We, we gave that car to God. I mean, God, this car belongs to you. We prayed over, God, this is your car. We're going to use it for you. And we were loading the stuff. We were over there at Kroger. It used to be a Kroger there on, on, uh, uh, by our house off of the parkway. And we were loading it up. And all of a sudden, the wheel started moving, and back it was a Taurus, a Ford Taurus, and and it hit the back, and it took a little chink of the paint. I remember Paul said, "Oh, oh, it was brand new." 
And I remember, not that I wouldn't do something like this. It just happened to be Paula. And I said, Paula, remember, remember, we, we gave this to God. We gave this to God. Aubrey bought her car. She bought a new car. And uh, I said, now, Aubrey, you need to give that car to God. We talked to her last night. And I said, hey, anybody scratch that car up yet? Got to give that car to God. Hey, it's easy to give your car to God. How about your kids? How about, how about your body, your health? How about your job when you don't get promoted, when you feel like you deserve it or you get fired or realigned in another place? Your money, your life. Listen, when you transfer ownership on the basis of redemption, God, you, you belong to me as my father and I belong to you. Forty, forty-eight years ago, this coming July, I was at Banneret, North Carolina, when I was a teenager, right before my senior year in high school. And on a Monday night, God spoke to my heart. I was under such conviction, and I didn't respond. Tuesday morning in chapel, I was under conviction. I didn't respond. Tuesday night, and the Holy Spirit of God had me hedged in. And I remember the minute that invitation started, I was the first one down the aisle. And I got there. The pulpit was right here. Um, and I was, I was to the left of it. And I had an had a old black Schofield Bible. And I put that thing down. I got on my face. And I wept. You don't have to weep. But I wept tears of repentance. I don't know how long I was down there. I was down there a long time. I said, God, I'm sorry for running my life. I'm sorry for dishonoring my parents. I'm sorry for, for trying to, all of these things. I, I don't, I, I want to know you better. I'm reading my Bible and I'm doing these, but, but I want to, would you help me? I, I, I can't even, I don't even know what to do next. And I gave, I gave everything I had to God from the, from the sole of my feet to the crown of my head. He said, well, it all turned out good. No, it was, it, it was difficult. But that was such a precious moment that even occasionally I'll, I'll look that school up and I'll find that auditorium and, and find a picture of that auditorium and go inside and, and look because they've got pictures of it. And I look at those seats where I was sitting and go down to that place where I gave everything I had to God. When did you give everything to God? He created you, He sustained you, and He has redeemed you. If you've never been saved, you need to be saved. And I hope you'll trust Him. But if you've been saved, Paul said, listen, I beseech you therefore, brethren. He's talking to Christians that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I have to do this every day of my life. But there was one time that I said, God, this is it. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. Thank you for listening. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, while you sit there, could I ask you a question? Very reverently, just you and God.
just you and God. Would you make this a holy of holies? And would you just transfer the ownership of your life, everything you have, would you transfer it to God? Everything you have. Everything. Just say, God, I give you my life, my body, my money, my children, my future, my failures, my successes. God, I give you everything. And surrender it to him. Just give it to him. I'll be honest, it's a little bit scary. But can I tell you this? God takes better care of his stuff than you take care of yours. And he will take care of you. I know that. I know that. But would you give it to him? Would you do that? I'll be quiet. Just in your heart to God's heart. Say, God, I transfer the ownership of my life to you. Just give it to him. Maybe you're here today and you've never been saved. you never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin. You're not a child of God. The way you become a Christian is you cry out for mercy. There's no formula. You just come and say, God, I'm lost. I'm not a believer. My life is a mess. I'm headed for hell. And I need to be saved. Would you have mercy on me? I don't deserve this. And make me your son or daughter. Right now, I put my faith in Jesus as my Savior, and I ask Him to forgive me and to save me. I don't deserve it. Have mercy on me and save me today, February the 11th. And just do that, and He will save you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and He will save you. Would you do that? Our Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for being a loving Father. Thank you for creating things for us. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for your sustenance, for your care, for your provisions. Oh God, thank you for your redemption. We don't deserve any of that. Lord, you loved us when we were lost. Ugly. You you loved us when we... We're blaspheming you. We didn't care about you. And you loved us. And I pray that those that were here that said, I want to transfer ownership. I want to acknowledge God as my master and my Lord. I want to give my life, everything to him. And Lord, that you would help them to walk in obedience. And they'll not be perfect because I sure am not. But you're a good master. You're a good Lord. We thank you for that. Help us be good stewards. You're the owner. We acknowledge that. I pray you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for your attention. And you're so easy to preach to. I love you very much. And uh, have a good afternoon. You're dismissed. God bless you.